every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. This is Peter Lewis with my podcast Money Talk for Friday the 18th of August. Welcome to the end of the week. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, one of China's biggest shadow banks has skipped payments on several investment products, sparking rare protests in Beijing as the fallout from a deepening property slump spreads to the financial sector. Videos of the incident appear to show about two dozen protesters at Zhongrong International Trust demanding payments on high-yield products that were pitched as safe investments. Other retail investors sought to lodge formal complaints with authorities in Beijing. Japanese exports declined in July for the first time since February 2021, dragged down by waning demand in China for computer chips and automobiles, while imports dropped the most in nearly three years. Weaker demand in Japan's biggest trading partners in China and the rest of Asia has dimmed prospects for growth in the world's third largest economy. Exports from Japan dropped by 0.3% year-on-year in July, marking the first decline in 29 months. Hong Kong's seasonally adjusted unemployment rate edged down to 2.8% in the three months ending July from 2.9% in the previous month and in line with market forecasts. It was the lowest jobless rate since June 2019 as the number of unemployed decreased by 1,900 from a month earlier to an over four-year low of 111,700. Meanwhile, employment increased by 19,200 to 3.708 million and the underemployment rate remained unchanged at 1.1%. On today's programme, I'm joined by Francis Lunn, the CEO of Geo Securities, and Christopher Lee, partner at Farron Augustine and Alexander Investments. With a view from New Zealand is Mike Gibbs-Harris, Director of MGH Asset Management in Wellington, New Zealand. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. On Wall Street, US stocks sank for a third session as long-term Treasury yields moved towards 16-year highs. The S&P 500 fell 0.8% and ended the session at 4,370. The S&P 500 is now down about 5% from its July peak. The Dow dropped 291 points, or 0.8%, to close at 34,475. The Dow joined the S&P, Nasdaq and Russell 2000 in closing below its 50-day moving average. The Nasdaq Composite declined 1.2%, falling to 13,317. All 11 sectors in the S&P 500 are on pace for losses this week in a broad market slide. The 10-year Treasury yield settled three basis points higher at 4.29%. That's its highest level since 2007, and rising yields have sent the US mortgage rate to 21-year highs. Yields on government bonds around the world also pushed to multi-year highs. UK 10-year gilt yields hit their highest level since 2008, and Germany's equivalents hit levels not seen since 2011. Onshore and offshore yuan weakened sharply on Thursday. Onshore yuan dropped more than 200 pips to break through 7.31 renminbi per dollar for the first time since November last year. The yuan then rebounded to trade at 7.291 renminbi after Chinese authorities told state-owned banks to step up intervention in the currency markets. Hong Kong stocks slid for the fifth session in a row after briefly hitting their lowest level in nine months. 
China's Premier Li Chang said Wednesday the country would work to achieve its economic targets for the year. He also said efforts should be made to organically combine security with development in the context of promoting business overall. The Hang Seng Index slid 2.3% at one stage in the morning session to break through the 18,000 mark and hit its lowest level since December last year. It then staged a sharp rebound to end the day just three points lower at 18,327. The index, though, has fallen 19.2% from the recent high seen on January the 27th. And it's near a technical bear market, which is defined as a fall of 20% or more. The Hang Seng Tech Index erased a loss of as much as 2.5% and was up 0.8% by the close. The Hang Seng China Enterprises Index, which tracks the largest mainland companies listed in the city, rose 0.8% but has plunged almost 9% this month to become the worst performer among 92 global equity gauges. Mainland stocks slid to their lowest levels in seven months. The Shanghai Composite fell 0.9% to below 31.30 at one stage in the morning, before recovering to end the day 0.4% higher at 3,164. Looking forward to this morning, uh, maybe not because Hong Kong stocks are set to slide for a sixth day at the open. Futures markets are pointing to a decline in the Hang Seng of about 155 points. That's 0.9%. And you can get the latest market movements and all the details in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. It's a Friday. I don't know if it's a good Friday or not, but we'll find out <laughs> soon. We have with us Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities. Morning, Francis. Good morning. And also joining us is Chris Lee, who is partner, senior partner at Farron Augustine and Alexander Investments. Nice to see you, Chris. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Francis. Yeah, Hi. Good morning. Um, shall we start with China? It's a little bit depressing this week, isn't yeah. it, all the news out of China. <laughs> yeah. But let's talk about the home prices first, because mm-hmm. it looks like the decline in Chinese yeah. home prices is accelerating, isn't yeah. it? Particularly in third and fourth tier um, cities. Average new home prices in China's 70 major cities fell 0.1% year on year in July after edging up in the previous month. That was the fifth straight months of declines. But if we look on a seasonally adjusted basis, new home prices declined 2.5% month on month. That's increased from the fall we saw of 2.2%. And then in third and fourth tier cities, they saw drops of 3.9% and 3.3%. I mean, Francis, actually, I've heard people say that the numbers are actually even worse than what the official uh, figures are saying. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. I think China has a serious problem of oversupply I think for the uh, third and fourth line cities I think the oversupply exceeds something like 20% mm-hmm. you go to any China city you see ghost, ghost towns everywhere mm-hmm. uh, the, the, those are the results of uh, building, building overbuilding mm-hmm. years of overbuilding actually uh, uh, the first ghost city uh, is in the, uh, Outer Mongolia, uh, near Erdos. It's still a ghost city right. after 20 years. So, so you can see with the population decline now, you're, you're, you're never going to take up all these uh, vacant flats. So it's a grim future for the property developers. 
Oh, Chris, mm -hmm. what do you think? I've not been to the ghost city, but I've been to uh, Zhongshan and some of the Greater Bay Area locations here. So the uh, property agents have shared with me that the uh, declines that they have seen in prices, right, have been uh, more than 30%. So more than 30%. <laughs> so these are basically some of the units that have been pitched and sold to Hong Kong investors. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a year ago, there was this big uh, Greater China theme. So obviously, there were a lot of uh, property agents trying to market, right, these uh, Greater um, you know, Bay Area units to some of the Hong Kong uh, Uh, investors, so right? Because they're smaller in terms of price, right? So you can buy a unit for maybe one or two million dollars, and some of those two uh, two million dollar units, uh, Hong Kong dollars, were sold at like less than one point five just in the recent print. So this mm -hmm. is this is from wow. from a couple of uh, real estate agents that I've spoken with. Mm -hmm. So that means then this is not just a mainland problem; it's going to have an impact on Hong Kong as well. If, yeah. Uh, if well, know. if you go to uh, Exchange Square every mm -hmm. day now, there there are protesters. Uh, protesting <laughs> <laughs> some flats that they bought which uh, were never completed. <laughs> and I suppose this is why Country Garden is in big trouble now yeah, because they yeah. specialize in the third and fourth tier cities, don't they? That's where a lot of their projects are. Yeah, they, they chose the uh, uh, suburbs mm -hmm. uh, they, where they can get large tracts of land and they count on uh, the, the cities being built up like the Pearl River Delta. But the problem is if, if you leave the Pearl River Delta, many areas never really built up, uh, mm -hmm. like uh, Nanning in Guangxi. Uh, many developers went, went there to buy to scoop a large tracts of land. And they, they never got filled up, mm -hmm. and they lose space. So, Chris, I suppose mm -hmm. from a financial perspective, this also yeah. has an impact on the markets, doesn't it? Obviously, in the share price of the developers, as Definitely. we've been seeing, but yeah. also in the debt markets as well. JP Morgan's raised yep. its emerging market default forecast, mm -hmm. mainly because of China's property sector. It's raised its global forecast this year to defaults of 9.7% up from 6%. However, if you left out Chinese property, mm. that default figure would be just 1%. So it mm -hmm. tends to show you just what a big impact this is having on the, the credit markets as well. The credit market in China has been really difficult, as we know, in the last yeah. year or so, right? So Chinese property developers have not been doing well, and these are high-yield bonds, right? Mm. So there's another name for these high-yield bonds. These are junk, junk bonds. bonds. Junk bonds, I mean... They really become junk. <laughs> AKA also known as very high probability of defaults. Mm -hmm. So it's not really a surprise to me that we're seeing a lot of these uh, defaults happening. Mm. In fact, I mean, that was meant to be a high-risk, uh, high-yield mm -hmm. investment. Mm -hmm. And I think there was probably a disconnect somewhere uh, during the, uh, the process you mentioned earlier, Peter, that uh, they were some of these uh, wealth management products were pitched to investors as rather safe investment. Mm. I think the, the, the disconnect was not about the, uh, the instrument itself. The disconnect was really in the selling process. Right. This, yeah. uh, They'd be missold, product. basically. Yeah, they, 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 they will tell the uh, consumer that uh, you can leverage it up, borrow one time. Oh, that's even worse, <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> uh, and many people got burned this way, especially yeah. the mainlanders. They, they slap up all this Evergrande 
the uh, uh, bonds yeah. Yeah. because they thought they were safe and paying thirteen mm. percent. Mm-hmm. Wow! <laughs> and is then, this and is this how the contagion spreads mm. from yeah. the property market to the financial market? Because you have these shadow banks like Zhongrong mm-hmm. yeah. that we've been talking about, yeah. which have been selling um, you know mm-hmm. high yield products, but they're linked themselves to the property market, aren't they? Some of them, some of this money goes into these developments right. on the basis that these apartments are going to get completed and they're going to get a big yield back. So if they don't complete them or they default on the bonds, right. which mm-hmm. these investment trusts are invested in, that yeah. it has a knock-on effect, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's the cascading market. It's like uh, the <laughs> dominoes, yeah. one falling after the other. Big time. I mean, let's talk about these wealth management products, mm. right? Yeah. So what are these wealth management products? They are issued by these uh, trust companies who basically take uh, the um, almost like deposit-style uh, cash mm-hmm. from the uh, average retail investors. And what do they do with that cash? They turn around and invest in all these uh, high-yield bonds that right. are issued by Country Garden and that are issued by uh, the Evergrande of the world. And these bonds have not been performing well. And, and now Country Garden suspended trading that's right. in 10 yeah. bits that's bonds. Right. And uh. that's why when these uh, trust companies cannot pay interest, it's just to be expected. So because yeah. the underlying mm-hmm. high yield bonds, again, junk bonds, right, yeah, did right. not pay and therefore these uh, wealth management products cannot pay. And uh, th- therefore, I think some of these uh, very angry uh, local investors are taking to the streets and protesting. Do these trusts, because these trust companies are quite mm. unusual in themselves, aren't yeah. they? Because they exist in the murky parts of yeah. the financial system mm. and they can invest in like pretty well anything they like, yeah. can't they? There's, there's nothing they can't invest in. Yeah, they're a virtual bank. <laughs> they, they, what, what they call their shadow banking. Yeah. And, right. And uh, in, good, in good times, they're okay. But in bad times they're bound to fail and do they have to write down the value of these investments so if you hold these country Mm -hmm. garden bonds that have been suspended from trading Mm -hmm. they're now the last price was something like 10 cents on the dollar do these trust companies write down uh those those and take the losses and admit basically that you know we're invested in them and we're going to have to write them down and we can't pay out is there they should i think they need to and Mm -hmm. even though they are structured as wealth management products so-called wmp right so these are the products that are managed by the uh, portfolio managers but again i think going back to the point you made earlier peter these were pitched unfortunately to local investors as rather safe investments Mm -hmm. by the um, by the banks uh, who act as distributors so Mm -hmm. there's another party here the banking sector right the, mm. the traditional banking sector has been promoting many of these wmps wealth management products to local investors and so the mis-selling is something that we should not ignore in mm. this whole process so is there there doesn't seem there seems to be also then a failure of regulatory oversight here in the way in which they're <laughs> sold the investments that they do yeah. and you know if you promise they're, they're promising 10, 11, 12 percent guaranteed returns, aren't they? Which yeah, you, 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 you should be skeptical yeah. where, <laughs> where, where, where you don't get any interest on your deposits uh, like mm-hmm. last year and you're getting paid 10 or 12 percent on your, on your investment product. There's, there's got to be something wrong. Well, they were even higher when these wealth management products first came out, right? Mm-hmm. So, and uh-huh. they were 
I think uh, slowly uh, decreasing the uh, the payout, and also uh, because the high yield markets have not been doing well, as we all know, in the last two years. Mm-hmm. And relatively speaking, these wealth management products are still paying, I think, rather high yields to the uh, investors compared to deposits. Mm-hmm. But again, the missing piece was high yield means high risk doesn't yeah. mean you know low risk, mm-hmm. and yeah. that was I think miscommunicated during this. Uh, um, I think um, you know distribution process. Yeah. Do we have an idea of the scale of the problem here? Because Jean Rong, the mm. one we've been talking about, uh, they have about a trillion renminbi under management. That's about yeah. 140 billion US wow. dollars. <laughs> I mean, we could be talking about trillions of dollars here. Yeah, tens of trillion mm-hmm. at least, because. Uh, uh, Evergrande is indebted to the tune of 2.4 trillion, and right. then country right. garden, the next one is 1.4 trillion. Mm. So, just two of them is mm. almost 4 trillion. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, how big a problem is this? So, it's, it's a big problem. However, I think, uh, you know, just to have a little bit of a positive spin on this so far, I don't think this will be contagious like the uh, 2009 financial crisis in the mm. U.S., um, because at least there are, there are two or three reasons. One, I think the um, the high yield bonds issued by all these property developers are not securitized. They have not been sort of like structured as mm-hmm. uh, collateralized mortgage obligations. They have not been repackaged. Mm-hmm. They have not been resold uh, mm-hmm. multiple times uh, to other institutional investors. So that's you know one thing because we, this, we hope yeah the, the securitization <laughs> of these uh, mortgage products don't exist right mm. in in China uh-huh. so that's that's the good thing the second uh, good news is um this is rather controlled because the renminbi is not convertible mm. so uh-huh. foreign investors yeah, luckily. luckily that renminbi is not convertible uh, so in the capital account so you don't see foreign investors buying mortgage backed securities in China right yeah. and so unlike what happened in 2009 you know Lehman defaulted and so all the MBSs and CBSs I think mm-hmm were basically affected and uh, the poor little old lady in Wan Chai demonstrated because of her purchase in mini bond uh, so yeah. it was a global problem back mm. in 2009 but here I see that uh, the situation in China is very controlled and contained also because the third reason is these are mostly um, commercial mortgages and not individual mm. retail mortgages, yeah. right? I, I so, think it's only the Chinese investors, especially indi- individual citizens, that that hurt. They will lose mm. their savings. So this is going to be contained within China, but nevertheless, yeah. there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of very unhappy people who have yeah. lost basically everything on on Defin- some of these products. Definitely. The government is yeah. going to have to step mm-hmm. in, isn't it, and and find a way of making them whole? Well, there are, I think uh, there are two options, right? One is uh, government can definitely do something here to help the uh, uh, the corporate borrowers to probably make some of those uh, mortgage payments. That's solution number one. I think solution number two, which I had seen, was the distributors, I think, you know, should bear some of the responsibilities mm. here, right? Mm-hmm. So if they have sold these as uh, like safe investments to their wealth management product investors. And I had seen that distributors, you know, came in and say, well, we know that the uh, trust company defaulted and you bought it from us and here's 
some form of a payment that will help you sort of like um, get back partially some of your investments. So I think that that is another way that I think the investors can be compensated. Um, but I think that will require quite a lot of coordination. Yeah, but 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 I think the Chinese government is content to let these uh, property developers uh, uh, go into liquidation and bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. I think uh, from what I heard this morning is that Evergrande uh, filed for bankruptcy in, in U.S. courts. So that's, that's really strange. Why why in U.S. court? Why not in Chinese court? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah. But because they they just don't want to spend bill trillions of dollars to save these uh, uh, property developers developers who got got themselves into this situation mm. is mm. their own fault mm. <laughs> yeah but that's also the moral hazard issue right yeah. so Francis I mean if they save these guys then what about the next one right so yeah, they have right. to I think let the market you know let markets be markets yeah mm. that's right but, but the problem is even though then this is a China problem it still affects the confidence of investors overseas, doesn't it? They look at this, they think this is another big problem on top of all the economic issues that China Mm -hmm. is facing. This is a market that we're just going to have to avoid for now. Yeah, well, (laughs) uh, Biden already told uh, US investors not to invest in China already. (laughs) So so we don't see any uh, American or European money in in the Hong Kong market now. And foreign investors are pretty well completely pulled out, haven't they? I mean, they, almost, they, almost. Yeah, yeah. Short term, short term, definitely they are very, very. Um, mm. I think a bearish. Uh, I think settlement mm-hmm. and also very bearish views. Now the uh, the question is, uh, is this a value play, right, over the medium term mm-hmm. and over the longer term? Because fundamentally speaking, you see the growth in income over the last uh, two decades. Mm-hmm. It's just that the stock market yeah. has not reflected the, yeah. uh, the growth. Yeah, in there's terms of enormous GDP. savings in the Chinese system. Mm-hmm. But if, if you've invested in China over the last 20 years, you've pretty well gone nowhere, have you? That's the <laughs> you're, problem. But you're back, that's in the right. stock market, yes. Yes, in the yeah. stock market, yeah. But however, you see the uh, GDP per capita over the last 20 years that has grown tremendously. Yeah, many so times over. that is the big disconnect that we yeah. see. Yeah, but the stock market is not doing well at all. But even though GDP has grown, right. uh, the problem is private companies have been mm-hmm. really beaten up, haven't they, by, by the government. So yeah. they're not getting the benefit of that GDP growth, and they're, they're actually being forced to, in effect, shrink. That, that's where the disconnect comes in, really, isn't right. it? It's mm-hmm. policies that are not allowing yeah. private mm-hmm. companies to thrive in, in this type of environment. That's right, yeah. I mean, the last 20 years, I mean, has been a growth story, right? So everyone is looking to China for growth and growth. But I think if you are the students of uh, Ben Graham and all these uh, value investors, mm. then you would like to look at these uh, beaten up companies that are fundamentally good businesses, mm-hmm. but they have been just somehow punished by the stock market mm. and also the investor sentiment. Yeah. So uh, there is still, I think, uh, value to be found. Here. But you may have to wait a while to, to, to realize that, uh, you know, <laughs> wait a long time. as you do with value plays anyway, yeah. you, you might have to wait you a do long have time. To wait. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. for our young uh, you know, audience, I think this is an idea, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're not used to that. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget that the, the last property slump mm-hmm. lasted from 1994 to 2006. 
12 years. Wow, okay. Wow. So you're so, looking at that now. <laughs> so what about the Hang Seng? It's just uh, you know under 1% away from hitting a bear market. It's down about 19.5% from its January, um, January high. Yeah. Um, I mean, I presume this is being hit from all sides, isn't mm-hmm. it? From the declining economy, the, the poor yeah. data that we're getting, the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the geopolitical problems, the problems in the property sector. Um, it's just hitting Hong Kong companies across the board. But yesterday, you know, we, we, we saw a change of direction. Now, what caused that sudden rebound? Yeah, I couldn't work out. Yeah. Was, I couldn't see any specific news or no anything. No specific news. It's, it, it's just bargain hunting. It's too cheap. <laughs> really? Yeah. Or was it state-owned fund, mainland funds as well being ordered to step I, I in and buy? I think it's private money. Right, because because they they concentrate on buying the uh, three the the uh, internet stocks. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, right. So 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 I think uh, uh, as soon as the uh, index fell below eighteen thousand, boom, you have because that's rush pretty where we're that's a trick upon, yeah. yeah, bargain hunting, right? Yeah, so going back right. to that, that value play again, and yeah. so it's it's not just for the medium and long term. There are also uh, momentum traders who are looking at this type yeah. of uh, Hong Kong stock is too cheap. <laughs> But where, where were the buyers coming from? Mainland China, yeah. Mainland China, yeah, that's right. Because right. I, I, I was surprised, mm-hmm. you know, at lunchtime, well, early in the morning, it was looking pretty grim. Yeah. And then by lunchtime, it pretty well made back everything yeah, it lost, but on right. no specific catalyst or I like, couldn't mm-hmm. find a particular news story that, no that news really story. caused that yeah. caused that big Well, bounce. welcome to the markets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Well, the same thing happened in the yuan as well. The yeah. yuan. Um, I think it's going to hit 7.4. <laughs> now, tell me something then. Why is the government not pleased that the yuan is sliding? Because you would have thought that for a country that's in deflation, the mm-hmm. best thing that could happen for it is to let the yuan slide, yeah. which would give a boost to the economy. I mean, mm-hmm. look at Japan with the Japanese yen. Yeah, the sliding right. yen has helped Japan. Why are they afraid about the yuan sliding and doing all these steps to try and stop uh, the slide? I, I, I think it's not good for confidence. When mm-hmm. you have a weak currency, you, you look weak uh, globally. And, uh, and so uh, don't forget, uh, some years ago, the, the yuan was trading at six point something mm-hmm. to, to the US dollar. <laughs> What do you think, Chris? I mean, is how big a problem is this for overseas investors? I suppose they see the Chinese yuan, and on top of everything else, um, that's another reason to stay out. Not positive, right? Not positive. But I think, you know, again, if you try to um, put a positive spin on this, right? So the weaker uh, the currency, I mean, it would supposedly help more exports, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, something that I am looking forward to. To uh, I know the domestic consumption has been the main theme in the last uh, few weeks, and and also the uh, the historical growth uh, thesis has always been the uh, the export driven mm. sector of China. So we we like to see more exports also. And you know I think there will be uh, still many European and also U.S. Uh, consumers benefiting mm-hmm. from the low cost and also high quality products mm-hmm. from China. Mm-hmm. Well, look how it's helped Japan. I mean mm-hmm. the sliding yen there. Yeah. Um, the yen's down about 11 percent year to date. That's given a big mm-hmm. boost. I mean look what we saw on GDP. Six yeah. percent in yeah. the second quarter, boosted yeah. by mm-hmm. largely by exports, particularly cars. Um, right. So yeah. you would think that mm-hmm. this would be also a beneficiary for China, a sliding yeah, yuan. Yeah. When, when, you're, when you're when you're in deflation, the, mm-hmm. what you want is a weaker yuan. Yuan, yeah. isn't it? 
Mm-hmm. And, and also stock market, the, the Japanese stock market is 30-year high. <laughs> yes, yes. Yep. But presumably there's another problem, which is why the yuan is going to slide. U.S. Treasury yields have hit mm. 16-year highs. Oh, so now no. the difference between U.S. yields and uh-huh. Chinese yields is also at multi-year highs. So that's going to push the yuan even lower, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, the yuan will come under selling pressure today, definitely. You, right. you have a mortgage rate at the 7% now. It's right. 20-year 21-year high. Yep. Now, that has implications as well, doesn't it? These rising treasury yields now, we're now firmly above 4%. We haven't Mm -hmm. seen 10-year yields above 4% since the global financial crisis when the central banks basically started slashing interest rates. But we're now, it looks like we're going to be above 4% for quite a while. Um, This is a game changer for the markets, isn't it? Definitely. I think uh, some people look forward to recovery Cutting next year, mm. maybe they're they have to. O- o- overly optimistic. <laughs> mm. Right. So this is a very strange situation, right? So Peter, you mentioned the ten-year uh, yield at four point two nine percent earlier. Mm. So we see a uh, V-shaped yield curve, right? Because the short end six months is about uh, five and a half percent, and at the peak of uh, like six percent at yes. one point. And then the long end of the curve is at four point four percent or four point five percent. This is not a sustainable shape, mm-hmm. right? So it's not upward sloping. It's not downward sloping. It's a V-shaped curve. Right. Yep. So I think the, the normal shape should be an upward sloping curve. So mm-hmm. the short end has yeah. to come back down to 3, 3% or lower. And yeah. so I think there's no – I think I would be putting my money on at the middle or later part of 2024 – they will have to start cutting rates in the U.S. Mm -hmm. But when um, 10-year bond yields are around 4.3%, but the Fed fund rates is over 5%, inflation is still over 3%, Mm -hmm. it suggests that these yields could go higher yet, couldn't they? (laughs) Yeah, the the core inflation is still something like 4%. I think that is the problem. Mm. Uh, I I think uh, one of the reasons Mm -hmm. uh, uh, ascribed to high rent Mm. I think in the U.S., rents okay. are still very high mm-hmm. because of the influx of uh, illegal immigrants. Mm-hmm. And so uh, unless you can uh, solve that problem, I, do, I don't see rents coming down. Right. There is a lot of pain, I think, uh, experienced by the average American household because, as you mentioned, the Fed has raised rates by more than 500 basis points, right, since uh, March 2022. So... You know, assuming that the average home price is roughly three hundred thousand dollars in the U.S., so the mortgage payment by an average American family has gone up because yeah. of uh, the uh, the rate uh, increases. Mm. So it's gone up almost like seven hundred to a thousand dollars per household, yeah. right. and that's extremely painful uh, to the average family. It may not be a lot for you too, but mm-hmm. it's very painful for the average family. Yeah. Well, in that. the U.S. last night, the average thirty-year fixed-rate mortgage rose to seven point oh nine percent, according yeah. to Freddie mm-hmm. Mac. That's yep. a twenty-one-year high. high. Yeah. Yep. And it that's, was half of that before, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Before it was seven three percent. Yep. So the highest basically since 2002. That's going to cause pain, isn't <laughs> mm-hmm. it? Definitely. Lots of pain. Yeah. 
But in the meantime, on the mainland, they're cutting interest rates. We had this 15 basis points MLF cut uh, earlier in the week. Yep, How, how's that going to help? That, that's not going to be enough, I think. Uh, you, you, you have to have a big spending uh, program, like something like $4 trillion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, and, uh, that, that was uh, mm-hmm. uh, launched by uh, Premier Wen Jiabao mm-hmm. many years ago in 2009. I think you need something like that to revive the economy. Yeah, and domestically it will help, right? So uh, people will go out and spend more. But I think we are still not seeing enough foreign tourists going mm-hmm. to China. Right. And I know people in Hong Kong go to Shenzhen almost every weekend because yeah. fortunately we can use the uh, Hong Kong version of Alipay app and <laughs> WeChat app to, to get taxis and stuff. But yeah. think about an average tourist from Australia, from UK, mm-hmm. from the US. If you don't have the uh, the local bank account, it's almost like you can't do anything. They, can't, right. they don't accept cash. That's the problem. <laughs> so they don't accept cash, and so if they don't accept credit cards either in uh, a lot of other right. places. That's right. So even even the street people would ask you to scan a code to, to uh-huh. uh, just uh, pay the homeless people. So they have to – I think this is an easy fix, to be honest, because we just have to – you know, welcome uh, foreign tourists mm-hmm. uh, who don't have the uh, the local uh, mm-hmm. payment system mm-hmm. to spend money, and mm-hmm. this is this is a policy thing that can be fixed by, mm. by the government. Yeah. What did you make of the activity data that we saw this week? Retail sales, fixed mm-hmm. asset investments, mm-hmm. uh, property investment as well, industrial production, all disappointed, didn't yeah, they? It was yeah, like a trifecta of yeah, disappointments. It, it really showed the Chinese economy is not doing well. Uh, I think, uh, especially the export sector, that's because lower demand from the rest of the world. That's something mm-hmm. that you cannot do. And that plus the property slump. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the uh, population decline. So so you really need something, uh, mm-hmm. doing something major to, to, to other than saying all these slogans. I don't know how many points, <laughs> 31 points or even 100 points. They're, they're no use. Well, that's why I think, uh, you know, having the renminbi depreciate further would actually boost would help. the export mm-hmm. sector. You would think so, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah. To yeah. reactivate the uh, export mm-hmm. sector because yeah. that has been the, uh, the, the, the key, I think, uh, the four-cylinder engine, right? That has been driving the economy for many mm-hmm. years. I would be happy to consider buying a BYD electric car. I've yeah. seen them on the streets. Yeah, it's here. on sale in Hong Kong now. Exactly. So mm-hmm. if they can be so here in Hong Kong, there's no reason why they cannot be so in other countries. Right? Yeah, they, I think the first First half of the year, the China exported more than two million cars to the rest of the world. Right. Isn't part of the problem, even if the yuan were to decline mm-hmm. and exports were to become more competitive, there's mm-hmm. such... Uh, well, there's two things. There's first of all, Americans and Europeans aren't buying so many goods anymore anyway. They're, <laughs> yeah, they're, doing, yeah, they're, they're going to restaurants shape. and traveling, but they're not buying goods. But secondly, there's been such an anti-China sort of government's provoked sort of backlash against buying Chinese goods that they're avoiding Chinese products anyway, even if, even if they are cheap. So it, yeah. it's sort of hurting China quite badly, isn't it? Yeah, these geopolitical well, that, tensions. That is not something that you can solve overnight. Mm-hmm. I don't think so but but the problem is uh, China makes half the, the mm. world's manufactured goods you, you 
you cannot. You can't say you can't avoid that. Yeah, you can't avoid. Yeah, we we saw that in the 1980s when I think Japanese cars were getting you know the,、mm. the love and hate relationship right with the American、well. consumers. Yeah, and I won't be surprised. I mean, if people have that love and hate relationship with the electric cars from BYD. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, the data though was a little bit overshadowed, wasn't it, by this news that they were going to stop releasing the unemployment data <laughs> for the the, the 16 to 24 year olds, the youth, the youth unemployment, rate, which、yeah. we can only presume is because the number was so bad; it yeah, was already at a record high of about 21 and a half percent. What do you make of that? It's going to get worse. I、mm-hmm. think、uh, I told you last week the youth unemployment rate is more like 50 percent. Half the graduates cannot find work. Yeah. Yeah, so there's also this、um, idea of、uh, how do you define employment nowadays,、mm-hmm. right? Because、uh, gone are the days that、uh, my dad worked for a bank for thirty years and then、mm-hmm. he retires at the age of sixty-five.、Uh, and、mm-hmm. nowadays, I think people have so-called like a portfolio career and、yeah. they work for、mm-hmm. multiple jobs. And it's again to your point, a gig economy that、mm-hmm. we talked about earlier. So while they are technically unemployed, but They may still be getting some form of incomes from either their、um, social media channels, yeah, and also right,、uh, right. getting some form of payments from tutoring, and so they are still making some form of income, but it's not officially recorded as a full-time employment.、Mm-hmm. That's right. But the thing is. That that that's all being said.、Mm-hmm. What they could have done was carried on publishing the data, but said we're now reviewing the methodology behind it, and we're <laughs> going to make some changes to it, rather than stop reporting、yeah. it completely. Because if, on the one hand, the,、mm-hmm. the government says we want to attract foreign investors、mm-hmm. into the market, but then they say we're not going to give you the data that allows you to make rational decisions about whether or not you should be in the market, it, it, it just doesn't go together, really, does it? Yeah, it that's that's、yeah. a typical. Democratic reaction to something、uh-huh. bad. Mm. You know. What to st- just stop trying to hide it? Yeah, it, try to sw- sweep it under the rug. But it doesn't、mm. make all those unemployed people disappear. They're still there, they're and they're still, still unemployed. There, that's right. Yeah, and it will be higher, right? Because you know, where are you going to find jobs for thirteen million university graduates、mm. every year? I mean, that's the number.、Mm. So everyone is going to university, and everyone is going to college, and yeah, that's right. Many of them are. Overeducated and underemployed, and、mm-hmm. working at the you know coffee shops, right? Yeah, so they need、right. more vocational training, isn't、mm-hmm. like Germany does, which is very good at vocational training, actually、mm-hmm. training people with specific skills for jobs.、Yeah. Surely that would be better than just. Putting everyone through university to get these weird degrees in whatever they are—I don't want to say because I'll upset、that's、someone、right. if I mention a, a、yeah. weird degree. I'm sure, but you know what I mean. Yes, yeah, I think the、right. German model,、uh, the Switzerland model, and the、uh, the Austrian model—I think、mm. those are the、uh, the three countries that I know that have really strong uh, vocational uh, apprenticeship training. Right. Well, look. Thank you very much. Great discussion there. We covered a lot of topics, didn't we? Have a good weekend. Let's hope the news is better next week when we return、okay. on Monday. You heard there, Christopher Lee, who is senior partner at Fowne Augustine and Alexander Investments, and Francis Lun, who is the CEO of Geo Securities. I'm joined now by Mike Gibbs Harris, who is director of MGH Asset Management down in Wellington, New Zealand. Morning, Mike. 
Morning, Peter. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Let, let's start talking uh, about New Zealand, first of all, as you're down there. The Central Bank, the Reserve Bank in New Zealand, held its benchmark policy rate at 5.5% for the second meeting in a row. We, we sort of watch this quite a lot because it's probably fair to say, isn't it, that New Zealand has been among the most aggressive um, central banks in the world, if not the most aggressive, in, in raising rates to, to cut um, inflation. But it seems to be signalling now... In it's happy with the job it's done. Yeah, but its its target is is to bring inflation down to one to three percent. And historically, the, the last few figures have been uh, have been above six. But but they think that inflation will get down to under three percent by the third quarter of next year. So they're prepared to go and leave rates where they are. Whilst whilst we get there, they've said that if necessary, they'll put rates up. Um, if inflation sparks up, but there are signs that the New Zealand economy is weakening, so they're, they're prepared to wait rather than um, rather than push rate to, rather than push in, interest rates up much much higher, much, much more quickly. And if the data that comes out over the coming sort of weeks doesn't confirm that and, and doesn't confirm that inflation is coming down, are, are they going to be back on the interest rate uh, interest rate hiking path again? I think they consider it. I think it's unlikely that we'll get um, a further interest rate hike this year unless the, the inflation figures are, are much, much higher than people are expecting, partly because there's an election uh, due in mid-October, mm. on October the 14th. And I think that, you know, that they'll probably be wary of increasing rates ahead of that. Mm. And, and what's this all doing for the uh, the economy? The economy, I, I think it's slipped into recession, hasn't it? Um, it was in recession earlier this year. Then it sort of climbed out. And in fact, the, the Reserve Bank is expecting there to be a recession in the second half of, of this year. Um, it's looking for uh, m- minus 0.1 of a percent for, for the next quarter, minus 0.3%. Uh, for the quarter after that, so it's not—it's not, it's not a, a, a savage recession, but but the economy is, is not doing well at the moment. There's a couple of vari- a couple of reasons for that. First of all, um, the slowdown in China doesn't help because that's affecting uh, New Zealand's biggest export, which is milk powder. Um, the, the fact that the housing market has been fairly weak. Um, prices are off quite a lot, and although there's some talk that we're that we're close to the bottom of that, that's affecting consumer confidence. And industrial production has been falling as well. So there's probably not much sign of, of a big pickup in the economy at the moment. And what about the dairy trade? Because that's a big part of New Zealand's economy, isn't it? Yeah, it's about 25% of, of its exports are, are milk or, or milk-related. And the, the, the milk price on the traded milk price has has basically halved in the last uh, in the last year it's gone from 4700 us dollars down to about 2500 mm. and fonterra which is the big milk cooperative here has come out and uh, just this morning and said that it, it thinks that the the payout to dairy farmers will be down and again that's just not helping confidence and the new zealand current account deficit at about 8% of GDP does require 
some adjustment at the moment as well. Mm. So we're seeing a very weak uh, New Zealand dollar at the moment, aren't we? It's trading, I think, around about nine-month um, lows right now. Yeah, correct. It's it's gone from about 63 down to 59 against the the US dollar. That's partly in sympathy with the Australian dollar, and it's partly because the US dollar has been so strong. But under 60, the, the Kiwi does seem uh, fairly weak. Mm. And what about over uh, over the sea in, in Australia, the RBA? We had the minutes of the RBA's meeting um, earlier this week. Um, they seem to be encouraged by uh, by the latest inflation data there as well. I think they're much more concerned about a recession um, in uh, in Australia than they are in New Zealand. This is mm. the the central bankers here. I, I think are just much. Uh, are much more focused on on getting getting the figures down within the the target range, mm. um, whereas in Australia they've also seeing a slowdown. They've seen some some weak job numbers, and so again with with the property market very important over there, just as it is here. Um, the, the Reserve Bank seems as though it's going to be um, reluctant to certainly to, to increase rates further and may look to to start reducing them sooner rather than later. Whereas New Zealand quite definitely has said we're going to keep rates higher for longer. Right. Is, is Australia, though, is it seeing maybe the first signs of um, a, a slowdown? Because we've seen the, the jobless rate um, rise. It ticked up to 3.7%, a sort of three-month high. So maybe there's a signal there that these rate hikes at last are starting to impact uh, the jobs market, cause a slowdown in hiring, which then presumably will cause a slowdown in spending and a slowdown in the economy overall. Yeah, and I think it also reflects the the, uh, the slowness of, of the Chinese economy. I think everybody was hoping for a, for a big rebound, and in particular, the, the problems in the Chinese property market, given how much um, raw materials Australia exports up into China, um, that must be hurting both their, uh, their, their exports from Australia and also the general job market and general confidence market. And it looks like the uh, the situation in the property market is just getting worse and worse um, at the moment. It's ensnaring bigger and bigger property developers like, uh, like Country Garden, and it seems to be spreading to the financial sector through these wealth management um, pro- projects, presumably. Um, if it does get worse, this is also going to impact New Zealand and, and Australia. Yeah. Uh, in fact, on the, on the milk price, um, the last auction was 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 extremely weak, and it was blamed partly on on a lack of Chinese demand. Right, right, and it's hard to see how that's going to come back at the moment because there's such a big sort of crisis of confidence right now among consumers on the mainland. They're worried about the economy, about their their house prices, about about their jobs. It doesn't seem that this is going to bounce back that quickly. So presumably, you know, in, in some of these um, Asian economies and over in New Zealand and Australia, we, we may have to be prepared for a long slog here. Yes, I, I think so. Everybody expected a, a, a very quick bounce back. But unlike Europe, unlike the US, the, the, the mainland government hasn't had a big fiscal stimulus as a result of, of COVID. And so people don't have the, the built up savings, which mm. they've been allowing to 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 uh, to gradually diminish in places 
such as the U.S. Right. And we, we had from the U.S., um, we had the minutes of the Fed's meeting, the last July meeting, which markets seem to have been surprised about. And I have to confess to being a little bit surprised that the markets are surprised that the Fed just simply said, look, there are upside risks to inflation that could warrant some further monetary tightening. It almost seems yep, obvious, but nevertheless, the markets have taken this quite badly. Yes, I think they have. Well, the equity market had done had, had done fairly well anyway, so we're due for a pause. But the bond market is the one which has uh, has really um, been affected. And I think what's happened is that it finally has dawned on people that inflation isn't going to come down in the U.S. very quickly. And so, if short rates stay higher for longer, then long rates have to creep up. Mm. And also, for a long time in, in the U.S. bond market, the, the term structure, which essentially means that you normally should uh, should get higher interest rates the longer you lend, that, that had been negative. And so now what I think we're seeing is that there's been a bit of a reversion to to the norm in, in the fact that uh, that real rates are increasing at the long end. Right, right. And, and of course, we've now got to get used to the fact that the 10-year is going to be above 4% for the first time since the global financial crisis. On a consistent basis, that 4% now looks like a floor, doesn't it? Whereas it's been a ceiling for a long time, we're at 4, 4.3% now um, already. This is going to have some uh, big, uh, big impacts, isn't it, on, uh, on the financial markets? Uh, I would think so. And the question is, is, is to you know, really what should the, the the real neutral rate be on a on a uh, on a ten year U.S. government bond if inflation goes to two percent? I mean, back before the global financial crisis, you normally assumed three percent real rates, which implies a five percent ten year bond. Mm. And if we get there, then you're not going to see PEs. Of twenty twenty five percent, sorry, twenty five times earnings, which uh, which you've had in in the US. Mm. So you know, we could be in for quite a long grind, I think, on on uh, on the potential for for US equity markets. Right. So I mean, in in effect, then, from what you're saying, is uh, you know we've got inflation in the US at three percent. Um, in that case, um, you know, bond yields could easily be around 5%. 10-year bond yields could easily be around 5% if you take sort of, you know, yeah, average I, economic growth. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and we're only 70 basis points from that at the moment. Mm. Mm, I, I'm not. I'm not convinced that the markets are prepared for 10-year yields at 5%, certainly not the equity markets anyway. <laughs> I agree with you on that yeah, completely. Okay, well, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out um, over the coming weeks, because we're in sort of a very interesting um, inflection point. Mike, it's always good to talk to you. Thank you very much for joining the program this morning. That's Mike Gibbs-Harris, who is Director of MGH Asset Management in Wellington, New Zealand. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Thank you to my guests this morning and thank you for listening today and this week. If you want to get more details on some of the stories we've discussed this morning, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com and have a read of my daily newsletter. I'll be back on Monday when I'll be joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management and Alvin Chua, CIO of No International Wealth Management. And providing a view on mainland China will be writer and broadcaster Mark O'Neill. Have a great weekend. Money Talk.